The Birch Bark House, Chapter 2, is called Old Tallow. Although she lived in town, Old Tallow was so isolated by the force and the strangeness of her personality that she could have been surrounded by a huge dark forest. She never had any children, and each of her three husbands had slunk off and turned during the night, never to be seen again. Nobody knew exactly what it was that Tallow, in her younger days, had done to drive them off. It had probably been something terrible. After the last husband left, her face seemed to have gotten old suddenly, though the rest of her hadn't weakened. She was a rangy woman, over six feet in height. She was powerful, lean, and lived surrounded by ferocious animals, more wolf than dog, and fiercely devoted to her. Old Tallow could bring down a bear with her pack of dogs, her gun, or even the razor-sharp spear that she practiced throwing into the splintered base of a tree. The dogs were bull-tough, and the yellow one particularly showed its wolf origins in the springy length of its legs. For some reason, Old Tallow seemed to treat her, Omakayas, somewhat differently than the other children. She didn't scream at her, or heap disdain on her, order her away from her cabin, or set her dogs on her. Omakayas thought perhaps it was because Old Tallow respected her mama and grandma. Old Tallow respected almost nobody else, so this was extra meaningful. The three women often sat together, talking in the dusk. Also, Old Tallow, who loved to hunt and was very skilled, shared her catch with them when Day-Day was gone. They would sometimes wake to find a haunch of venison just inside the door, or bear meat, or a fish or two. In fact, she now remembered that Old Tallow was responsible for the hide of the moose, which she had shared. Old Tallow liked to make her deliveries at night, which was another thing. Most other people hated to go out and about in the dark when Grandfather Owl was calling, Coo, 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 and anything could happen. But of course, Old Tallow was afraid of nothing. Omakayas approached Tallow's cabin warily because of the dogs. She stood for a moment at the end of the trail, gathering her confidence before she rounded the corner. One dog in particular seemed to hate her, the big yellow one. Omakayas was careful not to startle him or gaze too long into his mean, clouded eyes. Once, he had snapped at her and worried the sleeve of her dress. There he stood now, to bar her way to Tallow's door. Omakayas screwed up her courage, breathed calmly. She walked forward, shoving him aside as though she had not a care for his dripping teeth. She got ready to deliver a hard kick if he lunged, and walked past him without showing her fear. The dog bristled at her, baring its teeth in an ugly snarl, but let her pass by. The other dogs, the black, the brown with the lopped-off tail, the small whitish one, and the droopy orange runt, merely looked alert and regarded her with neutral interest. Old Tallow's cabin was small, neat, thickly mudded between logs. There was a log bench inside the door. Sure enough, Old Tallow sat upon it smoking her pipe. A fragrant curl of sweet kinnikinnick smoke stirred from the redstone bowl. As though she had known Omakayas was coming for the precious scissors, Old Tallow had them on her on her lap, safe in the bead-decorated pouch of red trade wool that Mama had made specially to hold them. 
I mean, little skinny one, she growled. Old Tallow's legs stuck out like poles. Tattered moccasins flapped on her wagging feet as she drew impatiently upon her pipe. She tamped the bowl of the pipe with huge hands. Her arms were long and sinewy. The old blue dress she wore was trimmed with the teeth of fox at the collar, beaded halfway around the scraggly ripped hem. Tallow, in her galloping hunts through the woods, was hard on clothes and wore out her moccasins, one pair right after the next. Even now, a toe stuck out from the ripped front seam. She tucked her braids up underneath a man's hat, a white man's hat, with a heavy brim. She was hardly seen without it, even her own house. In the band of the hat, she always wore a little gold-shafted feather. This was the feather of the golden-breasted woodpecker, the bird that gave its name and chattering cry to this island. "'You want the scissors?' Her voice was abrupt, but not unkind. "'Yes,' said Omakaes, glad that Old Tallow was outside. The yellow dog knew it was wrong to intimidate Omakaes. Sure enough, Old Tallow scolded him. "'You!' she shrieked at the snarling dog. "'Boonie! Leave her alone! This is your last warning! Touch her and you die!' The yellow dog turned aside, shrugging and cringing mean-spiritedly, eyeing Omakaes. She imagined she heard the yellow dog say, I'll get you next time. Wait until there's just the two of us. You'll see. Relieved, Omakaias walked past the other dog straight up to the old woman and stood before her. Anin, my auntie, she said. Minu Ayasana. She wished the old woman good health and called her auntie because it was a sign of affection, though Omakaias was really not sure exactly how she felt. After she'd spoken, she stood politely waiting. Old Tallow smiled, nodded, and blew a blast of smoke out her nostrils. Then she put her hand into her pouch at her waist. She rummaged around for a bit, then suddenly drew forth a small, grime-covered lump of maple sugar, rock-hard and wonderful. "'You take this,' she said, her voice cracked and dry, as though salted. "'And this, too.' She handed Omakaias the scissors, waved her back onto the trail, and as this was as friendly as Old Tallow ever got— Amakaias went away, satisfied. Before she went back on the trail, Amakaias rinsed off the old candy lump in the lake. It came out beautifully, creamy, golden, translucent, and greeny dark, and sweet. She started walking, her treasure now wrapped in a leaf. As she walked, Amakaias thought, there was no way to share such a tough nut of sweetness. How would she divide it? Amakaias decided she did not want to cause trouble at home. Furthermore, it suddenly made sense to her that at least one person in the family should get the full effect of the maple sugar. She would pop the whole thing into her mouth all at once. This would save the problems. Ah, the lump was delicious, tasting of spring sweetness in the inside of trees. Besides, Omakaias reasoned, as, as she walked contently along, the taste of the sugar would save her from eating every one of the berries she was sure to find on the path. Omakaias's feet moved slower and even slower yet. For one thing, the moose hide waited. For another, she was still angry with her older sister and didn't want to see Angeline. She could still feel that sister foot pressing hateful on her back. If only there were some way to impress Angeline, cause her envy, make her say, Can I have some of those berries? Please, please, please. You can be sure, Omakaias thought, her face taking a faraway, haughty expression. She would be slow in answering. 
Yet the worst of it was this. Her sister was usually on her side, helping her plan tricks on the other children in the village or gathering new ferns or snaring rabbits, visiting the grave houses looking for sugar or food left for the spirits, tossing off her clothes to swim with her. And to have her older sister laugh at her hurt Omakayas so much inside that she both wanted Angeline to smile in surprise, to be proud, to envy her, and to feel rotten and be sorry forever. So Amakaias took the slow way back, looking for odemin, little red heartberries, and the sunny margins of the woods near the ground. She carefully removed the hard lump of sweetness from her mouth, stuck it back in its leaf, just inside the pocket of her dress. Just as the taste of maple sugar faded along her tongue, she bent over, pushed back delicate leaves, and found masses of plump red little berries. Ah, one, two, three, she'd eaten a huge handful. Another... She grinned, thinking that she'd allow her sister to return to with her. All of a sudden, a rustle and then a thump in a bush ahead made Omakaias freeze. A long moment passed as she stared through the dark leaves. Suddenly, crash! Two bear cubs burst from the bush and rushed pell-mell, tumbling head over heels straight for her. They came on in such a hurry that they didn't see Omakaias until they were nearly in her lap. And then, with comical looks of shock, they tried to stop themselves. One flew flat on its face, bumping its nose and squealing. The other twisted in mid-air and landed in a heap on the ground, shaking its head in confusion at Omakayas. The bear boys looked at her. Slowly, she put out her open hand filled with heartberries. Curious, the cubs jumped forward, lost their nerve. They scampered backward and then crept forward shyly again. The smaller cubs seemed slightly bolder and sniffed at Omakayas's hand. The bear cub looked, took one berry then jumped away in seeming fright at its own bold act. But the taste of the berry seemed to banish fear. The two now tumbled at her, growling, mock-ferocious. Their long pink tongues touched up every berry from her hands, eagerly flicking them from her fingers as fast as she could pick. They seemed to like the game. It could have gone on for hours, that is, until she stood upright. Then they tumbled backward in alarm. Their chubby bottoms rolled them over like playing balls, and she laughed out loud. She realized they had thought Omakayas was their own size. They were astonished, the same way Omakayas had been the first time she, she saw the traitor unfold a seeing glass, something he called a telescope, a long, shiny tube that grew in his hands. She bent down again. Anin, little brothers, she said to them kindly, and they came forward. She looked around, no mother bear. Omakayas was well aware that she shouldn't stay close to these cubs, but after all, they seemed deserted. She looked around again. They were orphans. Perhaps the mother bear's skin was now draped across old Tallow's bed, although she hadn't heard about a recent kill. But still, no mother bear in sight, and these little ones so hungry. Wouldn't her big sister be thrilled when Omakayas returned with these two new brothers? Eagerly, Omakayas began to plan out her triumphant walk back to the house. She would enter the little clearing with the cubs, one at her heels and one before her. Everyone would make way, impressed. She would lead the bear cubs around the fire four times before she presented one of them to Angeline, who would look at her with new respect. There was no warning. One moment, Omakias was wiggling a leafy stick, making it move on the ground so the cubs would jump on it, biting fiercely. The next moment, she found herself flipped over on her back and pinned underneath a huge, powerful, heavy thing that sent down a horrible stink. It was the so bear, the mother, breathing on her a stale breath of decayed old deer hides and skunk cabbages and dead mushrooms. A wah! 
The surprising thing was, Omakayas realized later that although she had no memory of doing so, she had the scissors out of their case and open, the sharp ends pointing at the bear's heart. But she didn't use them as a knife. She knew for certain that she should not move. If the bear began to bite and claw, she would have to plunge the tip of the scissors straight in between the bear's strong ribs, use all of her strength, sink the blade all the way into the rounded hilt, and then jump clear, if she could, while the bear went through its death agony. If she couldn't get clear, Omakayas knew she would have to roll up in a ball and endure the bear's fury. She would probably be clawed from head to foot, bitten to pieces, scattered all over the ground. Until the mother bear made the first move, Omakayas knew she should stay still, or as still as possible, given the terrified jumping of her heart. For long moments, the bear tested her with every sense, staring down with her weak eyes, listening, and most of all, smelling her. The bear smelled the morning's moose meat stew Amakayas had eaten. The wild onion seasoning and the dusty bit of maple sugar from old tallow stuck it into the inside of her pocket. How she hoped the bear did not smell the bear-killing dogs or the bear claw that swung on a silver hoop from old tallow's earlobe. Perhaps the bear smelled the kind touch of grandma and mama's bone and spruce wood comb, her baby brother's cuddling body, the skins and mats she had slept in, and little Pinch, who had whined and sobbed the night before. The bear smelled on Omakayas' skin the smell of its own cousin's bear grease used to ward off mosquitoes. Fish from the night before last night, the berries she was eating. The bear smelled it all. Omakayas couldn't help but smell her back. Bears eat anything, and this one had just eaten something ancient and foul. Hyen! Omakayas took shallow breaths. Perhaps it was to take her mind off the scent of dead things on the bear's breath that she accidentally closed the scissors, shearing off a tiny clip of bear fur, and then, to cover her horror at this mistake, started to talk. Noko miss, she said to the bear, calling her grandmother. I didn't mean any harm. I was only playing with your children. Gawin, Ojida, please forgive me. The bear cuffed at Omakaes, but in a warning manner, not savagely to hurt. Then the bear leaned back, nose working, as though she could scent the meaning of the human words. Encouraged, Omakayas continued. I fed them some berries. I wanted to bring them home to adopt them, have them live with me at my house as my little brothers. But now that you're here, grandmother, I will leave quietly. These scissors in my hands are not for killing, just for sewing. They are nothing compared to your teeth and claws. And indeed, Omakayas' voice trembled slightly, as the bear made a gurgling sound deep in her throat and bared her long, curved, yellowish teeth, so good at ripping and tearing. But having totaled up all of the smells and sifted them for information, the bear seemed to have decided that Omakayas was no threat. She sat back on her haunches like a huge dog. Swinging her head around, she gave a short, quick slap on one of the cubs that sent it reeling away from Omakayas. It was as though she were telling them they had done wrong to approach this human animal and should now stay away from her. Omakas's heart squeezed painfully. Even though it was clear her life was about to be spared, she felt the loss of her new brothers. I wouldn't ever hurt them, she said again. The little cubs piled against their mother, clung to her. For a long moment, the great bear sat calmly with them, deciding where to go. Then in no hurry, they rose in one piece of dark fur. One bear boy broke away, 
again tried to get near Omakayas. The other looked longingly at her, but the big bear mother abruptly nosed them down the trail. <laughs>